Good morning, everybody. Um, for those of you who don't know, if you haven't been to the church before, you're new, um, we are going through the book of Romans. Um, and so we're in the third chapter, verse, starting at verse 9. It's quite a long passage, but I'm going to read it all because Paul says in the Bible that we need to give ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. Um, Good. <laughs> so I'm going to read the whole passage, 9 to 31. So Romans 3, 9 to 31. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they practice deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before our eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, has been revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all, and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law, by the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we established the law. So, the year is AD 41. Not now, we haven't got it in a time machine. But what I'm about to tell you, the year is AD 41. And Paul is preaching and church planting in Corinth. So while he's planting and preaching in Corinth, he meets a couple called Priscilla and Aquila. And they're in Corinth because Priscilla is Jewish and the Jews have been kicked out of Rome. 
And the story goes that the Emperor Claudius was sick of the Jews fighting. There was two groups of Jews and they were fighting over someone called Christ. But we all know who that is. But some Jews were saying he was the Messiah and others went. And Claudius got sick of it and said, you're all leaving. So he kicked the Jews out of Rome. And they ended up all over the empire. But this caused a problem for the church. Because the church in Rome, as we know from Acts chapter 2, there were Jewish people at the Feast of Pentecost. And they'd started the church in Rome. So there was Jews in Rome. But with the Jews gone, the church that had been both Jewish and Gentile was now completely Gentile. Which is not how it had been and not how God had intended it to be. So we jump forward to AD 53 and the Jews come back and suddenly there's a big fight going on. And in the blue corner we have the Jews saying, we were first, we have the law, we're holy. And on the other hand we have the Gentiles saying, the time of the Jews is finished, God's got us now, this is a Gentile church. So there was a bit of a problem going on in Rome. And as we've been looking at over the last few chapters, that's where the gospel comes in. And Paul is saying the gospel is for all people. All people are guilty before God because of their sin, and all people are saved through the gospel. And that's where we pick up with Paul today in Romans chapter 3, verse 9. And verses 9 to 20 really shows all have sinned. So Paul begins with a question. What then? Are the Jews better off? Better off because of what? Well, a few weeks ago, Keith was talking about how the Jews have the law and the prophets and the history. And surely, because of all that, they should be better off. They've got a relationship with God. They know how he speaks to them. They have the prophets. They have the patriarchs. They have the history. So Paul says, as some of the Jews were saying in the church, are the Jews not better off? Surely. And then he answers his own question. No, not at all. For both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Both Jews and non-Jews are under sin. Both the Jews and the Gentiles are guilty of sin. And then Paul pulls out a load of Old Testament verses. And each one from 10 to 18 is like a selection of Old Testament verses. And I won't go through them all, but essentially he makes his point. Everything we say, everything we do, we have all sinned against God. Even those who claim to know God's law, to know his rules, are guilty of disobedience. So no one has a reason to boast. Jews can boast in their law, but really they have no reason to. Now all of us, I think, don't want to show our hands or anything like that, but all of us have probably, in our weakest moments, boasted in our relationship with God, maybe thought we were a bit better than someone else who was a Christian because we see things a certain way, we have a certain system of belief that we think is right, and in our weakest moments we probably look down on other people. Please don't tell me if you've done it, I'll admit it up here, I'm allowed. Um, you, you can make that right in your own heart, you can, you, God knows. But we've all done it, haven't we? We've all been like these Jewish believers, we've gone, I know God's law, I know God's word. I'm better than you, other Christians, and people who aren't Christians. 
got no water. Can someone get me some water? I've tipped it over. So yeah, so we all judge others. I mean, we can all boast in our own righteousness, can't we? But the thing is, if the Jews couldn't obey the law, how could the Gentiles do it? And if all of us who know God can't obey the law, we could substitute the law in our day for, I don't know, God's word. Because most of us here are Christians, we know God's word. How can we expect our work colleagues or our uni friends or our school friends or the people we meet on the streets or our non-Christian families to obey God? And yet we, um, we boast them sometimes and think we know better. They should be living like this. They should be good Christians. They should be living a holy life. But the reality is, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's from another bit of Romans. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The point that Paul's making here is that whether you're Jew or Gentile, or in this case maybe in our day, whether you're Christian or not Christian, whether you know God's word or don't know God's word, whether you think you're holy or don't think you're holy, we've all sinned. And we're all separated from God by our sin. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus, actually is not just good news, but there's also bad news. And Romans is all about the gospel. And the bad news that comes before the good news is we've all sinned. We're all guilty before God. We're all deserving of God's judgment. And the gospel isn't Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He does love you. And he does have a wonderful plan for your life, but the gospel is we've all sinned. We've all sinned. We've all disobeyed God. We've all lived for ourselves. And God's judgment will come against everybody who has disobeyed him and lived for themselves. And against those who think that they can please God by what they do, which is what these Jewish believers were doing. Actually, our good works to try and please God are as bad to God as our bad works that we do as sin. Does that make sense? Because our good works can't make us right with God. So all have sinned. So it's a bit hopeless, really. I mean, we know it's not really, don't we? Most, anyone who's Christian here really already knows that it's not. But it looks pretty hopeless if you just look at it at face value from, from the Bible. It, We've all sinned, we're all under God's judgment, we're all guilty, we all deserve to be condemned. But Paul goes on into verses 21 to 26, and essentially comes out and says, all can be saved. Not all are saved, automatically, but all can be saved. He says, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Everything Paul said up to now could be summed up as self-righteousness. We all boast. We all think we're pretty good. Even when we're Christians, don't we sometimes try and please God by what we do? Try and think if we do this, God will be a bit happier with us. So the self-righteousness that leads to all being condemned before God and guilty of sin. 
But there's a second kind of righteousness. There's a second kind of righteousness in the verse that leads to a second kind of all. So self-righteousness, our sin, leads all to condemnation. But God's righteousness can lead all to justification. And I'll explain that in a minute. All types of people, all people groups, every tribe and nation, every person in this room, all can be saved through Jesus. Not through rules and regulations, not through making ourselves right with God by what we do or trying to, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the righteousness of God. So how do you describe, that, that's a little bit of righteousness, but how do you describe the righteousness of God? I'll tell you a story of a man you will have heard of called Martin Luther. This year is 500 years since the Reformation. Um, it's a great moment for those of us who call ourselves Reformed or Protestant. Or, um, 500 years since Martin Luther changed the world. But before the Reformation, Martin Luther was a Catholic monk. And he actually became a monk because he thought that God's righteousness meant that God only meant that God was holy, angry, distant. And he was terrified of God's judgment. And I suppose in a sense it's right to be terrified of God's judgment. But he was, he was just, all he could think about was that God was going to judge him, God was righteous. And like these Jewish believers, actually, he was trying to make himself right with God. He associated God's righteousness with being distant, angry, unloving. And then one day, in the monastery as a monk, Luther read Romans 1.17, for, for, in, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And that verse changed Luther's whole attitude to the righteousness of God. And turned the world upside down. We would be all in some sense of that, of, of the results of that, that moment. And Luther discovered this. Everybody that's not Catholic or Orthodox, essentially, is, is the result of Luther's discovering that the righteousness of God is through faith. And he discovered that God's righteousness is not just, or even mainly, about what God does. No, about who God is, sorry. It is about what God does. It's not about who God is only, but about what he does. So David Pawson says, we never forget that the cross is a, we must never forget that the cross is a double substitution. Jesus not only took our sin, but also imparted his righteousness to us. It's not merely a transaction where we escape hell. So there's something that happens, there's a transaction that takes place. Now, I've asked some people, but they're not actually all of the kids, but can I get two volunteers if I could, please? Can I have two people? All you need to do is stand here. Two people, Chad, Jack said, you Jack would come up, you're great. Just stand here somewhere. Okay. So, that's the I'll tell them all your names. Oh, I'm 
is hidden by the righteousness of Christ. That doesn't mean we shouldn't sin, we know that. We still need to continually repent of sin, give ourselves back over to Jesus. That's being made holy, that's becoming like Jesus. But actually, no sin that you commit, no holiness, no striving, no anything that you try and do, will take away the righteousness of Christ from your life. Every time God looks at you, you're righteous to him. So that means that you don't need any of this. Oh, I can't come to God because I've sinned. Or I can't worship because I've sinned. Or is God really going to be pleased with me? Can I read my Bible and listen to him and hear him speak? Is he going to be pleased with me? Is he going to accept me because I've sinned? Yes, because he already has through Jesus and his righteousness given to you. You, who are in Christ, are completely declared holy before Jesus. I have to keep saying that if I have to. For our sake, he made him who had no sin become sin. Who knew no sin. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus has paid the price for your sin. And this is the gospel. This is what Romans is about. This is the gospel. Jesus has paid the price for your sin. Declared you were righteous before him. And you are now completely and utterly free from everything that holds you back from being in his presence. Everything that stops you from coming to him. Is that good? Thank you. Thank you, It is. That is where every single one of you stands right now who is in Christ. And if you're not, if you don't know if you've given your life to Jesus, if you're still your sin, you don't know that, you can be in that place by coming to Jesus. And I would challenge you this morning, if you're not giving your life to Jesus, if you're not a Christian, you're not sure, come and receive his forgiveness and take that righteousness on. He will give it you. And you will be made holy before him, declared holy. Okay. So this means my whole thing. And what Paul basically says then is, there's no boasting. It's not all of you. There's no need to try and make it right for you, but make, make, make yourself right with God. But also there's no boasting because we didn't do it anyway. It didn't come from you. God gave this to you through your faith in Jesus. But you only have faith in Jesus because God gave you faith. So it's not from you anyway. So there's no need to boast. So then Paul encourages them to see that this has an application to our personal lives as Christians, but it also has an application to how we relate to others. He encourages them, don't boast. It doesn't matter whether we are Jew or Gentile, whether we're brought up religious, we know God's law, we know God's rules, we know God's word, or not. We are all equally righteous before God. It doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter about the colour of our skin. It doesn't matter about our background, our culture. We are all equally declared righteous before Jesus. So we do not boast, but we love one another. 
And that's where Paul brings in the answer to what's happening in their church. And it's the answer to all of us. Justification doesn't just, it's not just up and down. Justification is up and down, but it affects across as well how we relate to one another. So he says, be humble. Encourage one another on to love and good works. That's another passage from somewhere. We are all one in Christ through the same faith with the same righteousness. I'm going to pray. I finished. And I do want to encourage you before I pray, if there's anyone that wants to respond to the gospel, you're in that first group of people but you're, you have sinned but you're not sure you're in that second group of people, I'm not going to do a response here. I just want to say to you, come and speak to me or to Keith or to Rachel or to Dave or to, to, to somebody and just tell them that you want to give your life to Jesus. You want to be freed from your sin and they will help you to do that. One of us will help you to do that. But please don't just think it doesn't matter. It's really important. If you want to do that, it's really important that you do that this morning. So I want to pray for you. Thank you, God, that you have placed us in Christ, declared us righteous. Thank you that before you we are now perfectly, or at least counted as perfectly holy, and that you are making us holy every day as we walk with you. You are actually making us holy. I pray for each of my brothers and sisters here that there will be no boasting, there will be no thinking that someone's better than someone else, that we will all just recognise our need for you, and we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you will bless us all. Come upon each of us. Get this word into our heart this morning. Let it go deep. Let us go away knowing that we are righteous before you. No more need to strive. No more need to try and make ourselves right. We thank you, Lord. And I pray for anybody that wants to give their lives to you this morning, Lord. I pray you will stir their hearts even now to come to you. Let nobody miss this.